Welcome back, everybody, for another great episode of the Rolex Whiskey Passion Project. I really love everybody who's been listening. I appreciate you all. Thank you for giving us ratings. The podcast is definitely starting to move fast and furious. Today, I've got a gentleman on today who is just, I mean, shit, he's having a big year. But a lot of you would have seen him in the past if you had ever gone to Willet Bar for a drink. I'd like to welcome Jeff Knott, the owner and operator now of Tartan House in Louisville, Kentucky. Jeffy, how are you, my friend? I'm doing good, man. I'm doing great. This is, a, like you said, it's been a bit of a big year, a lot of stuff going on, but very, very happy yeah. to be uh, chatting with you. I'm loving all the pictures that I'm seeing of Tartan. I can't wait to visit. I'll be back in January. I mean, how fucking cool. Uh, yeah. I mean, visually alone, uh, this place shocks me and stuns me a little bit every time I come in. It's it's way nicer than a trash goblin like myself deserves. But we had fantastic <laughs> designers that <laughs> made, made it look incredible. So they really knocked it out of the park. So if it were up to me, it'd probably be a very uh, American psycho apartment look because I have no eye design whatsoever. <laughs> but they, they crushed it. <laughs> It's so funny you say that, like in my, in my real job stuff with grocery, people like they ask me for design stuff. I'm like, I, I know I'm not the guy for that. I'm Absolutely. I come with passion. I do that. Don't ask me like what color you think is best. Like, I don't know. <laughs> no, yeah, none at all. Debbie, let's do uh, First of all, introduce yourself. Say hi to everybody. You know, if you want to plug your Instagram, you know, feel free. <laughs> Jeff Knott, like I said, I'm uh, one of the owners and the operator for Tartan House in Louisville, Kentucky. We've been open since August 1st of 2023. Then really, it's been better than I possibly could have imagined. The response has been great. The community, the the restaurant and bar folks in the area have really taken liking to us. So we get tons of people recommending us to you know, be their, their date night spot or their pre or post dinner spot incredibly grateful the hospitality scene in Louisville is really top-notch um and to be welcomed in has been been really great especially as somebody who's coming from the outside I've only been in Kentucky for a few years the Instagram is, is kind of the, the best way to follow us like everyone was saying all the pictures and everything look phenomenal the aesthetic mm-hmm. is great the Instagram is tartan house Lou l-o-u my personal one is sir Mixanot. k-n-o-t-t <laughs> is my last name and I'm horribly ashamed that it took me 40 something years of life to figure out that i need to make that my handle for everything it's a journey it's a journey which is is a good which is a good which is a good segue into the journey take me where like when does when does whiskey come into your life most you know like at a totally legal and above board age i actually started out drinking scotch when i moved out of high school my roommate was a great guy. I still love him to death, but uh, he was a few years older than I was, so he was a, a writer and a musician. So, of course, at that age, everybody thinks that to be cool, you need to smoke cigarettes and drink scotch. So so we just started drinking scotch together, and I actually fell in love with that before I even did bourbon. So I've just always been a, a fan of whiskey, period. But having a classier, older roommate really helped me kind of hone my taste in a little bit. So yeah, and what and what, and what and what scotches and what scotches were you guys drinking back then? I, I distinctly remember a lot of Glenfiddich. That that was kind of his go-to. So of course it became my go-to because I won't call him out, but I was not 
of legal drinking age at the time. I think I was 20, almost 21 when I moved in with him. So yeah, it was totally not above board, as I said earlier. But no. Yeah, Glenfinnick is the one that kind of sticks out to me as as one of the first ones I remember getting into. And then were you, you, I mean, in, in those years, were you around the bars scenes or that did how did how did the whole bar thing happen with you so i started in restaurants when i was 17 give or take and started busting tables and washing dishes at a, at a place back home in florida started waiting tables when i turned 18 and did that for a few years and as soon as i turned 21 the restaurant i was at the daytime bartender started kind of flaking out a fair amount and because i, I wasn't in school and i was a hustler they would just you know hey you're 21 now load you up if, if Laura doesn't show up for her shift, jump behind the bar. All it ever was was Bloody Marys and glasses of wine for lunch for the most part. So it wasn't really a, a hard mm-hmm. learning curve. They, they saw I could do it and saw I had the drive to learn. So they started teaching me and throwing me on nice stuff. Of course, this was 2002. So everything back then was, if you didn't know it, make it real. Long Island iced tea. Out. <laughs> yeah, that, that was the, yeah. the top notch cocktail back then. <laughs> you know, maybe a uh, maybe a top shelf margarita. Throw some grandma and OJ in it. Call it a day. Oh, oh, the floater, the floater. Oh, yeah. And it's like, oh, you got extra money. You got to put a <laughs> little little floater on top over there. Yeah, which back then was probably like nine bucks. That's a that's a happy hour cocktail price nowadays. If you get something for less than ten, so. I, I mean, I I tell people I remember when Red Bull came on the scene, and they were like, "What? You're gonna charge them extra for like a vodka? What?" Yeah, I remember the uh, like you can charge for this thing, and then people are like, "Oh shit, I'll get another one." You like, why are they drinking this? Oh, I remember like the we never spoke vans rolling around. Caffeine was a bottle of coffee. Remember? Yeah, the 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 promo vans and like the promo people would come around with Red Bull back in the day when it was first hitting the scene, and it's like, what in the absolute hell is this? It's gonna kill somebody, and it hasn't killed me yet. So I think we're doing all right. No, no, and if you think about just how how they innovated with that Red Bull vodka. I mean, no one else really was able to put anything else in like that ever again, really, if I know about it. No, I mean, that, that's know, many tried. Suck. Many tried. I mean, that just is tried and tested globally. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you, so, you, so you get behind the bar, and like you said, this is 2002, so it's not like it's cocktail heavy. It's, you know, five items on a menu, three of them are shots. Yeah, and but then everything in a martini glass was called a martini too at the same time. So, yes. yeah, you know, it was, it was it, that era was chaos. I'm glad we moved on from that. It well, is it was actually linked back finally. I even remember when the mojito hit, and my guys would be like, "Are you kidding me, dude? Are you you want me? You don't want what? things to make this thing? You know, like they didn't even want to make old fashioned. This thing you got to muddle, and then the sugar cubes, and all that. They're like, no, 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 no. And then the guys from Ten Cane Rum would throw a lot of money out to get that on the menu. And you're like, dude, they're paying a lot of money. Oh, man, I forgot. You'll be muddling away. You know, here's your little little wooden muddler. Knock yourself out, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) So, okay, so now now we go in 2002. So you're in the game. What's another another milestone for you? Um, I kind of kicked it around for a few years doing, like, high volume, you know, restaurant and kind of some clubby stuff. I actually got out for a couple of years and did some uh, home theater install stuff, worked for Best Buy for a little while. I was a uh, proud member of the Geek Squad, rolled around and uh, hung TVs on walls and stuff like that. And then 
I didn't see that as a, a long-term career, uh, but it was a nice little break. And then when I got done with that, I started kind of thinking about getting back into the bar scene and an old GM of mine was in a new position at a, like a finer dining restaurant. <clears throat> he had lost some people and he was like, well, Hey, you know, if you want to come back, if you remember how to bartend or even if you don't, you know, you can come here. And the bar manager for him was, you know, this was 2010, 2011, maybe. Uh, and the cocktail scene okay. really just started to hit the panhandle of Florida where I was from. And he was really into that. So it, it really helped. He, you know, turned me on to, I, I think the first cocktail book I ever got was aside from like the Mr. Boston's that was behind every bar. Uh, he got yes, a copy he of the, the PDT cocktail book. And I was like, oh my God, you can actually put interesting stuff together and be proud of what you're putting out instead of just, like I said, red and sweet or Jack and Coke or something like that. Well, also, you remember all the plastic bottles with all the pre-made mixes? You'd be making oh, yeah. like a cocktail soup. You're like, I'm going to yep. go a little squeeze of blue, a little squeeze of red, a little squeeze of yellow. <laughs> Fucking add some gin in there, throw some vodka on top, and like, good luck, buddy. Yep, <laughs> you know? yep. You just, you just had the taste of the rainbow. You're going to be sleeping in three hours. <laughs> yeah, what's the And tomorrow morning, you're going to have the worst headache you've ever had. I mean, I remember with like, bartenders were making their own simple syrup. And like, you started, like, that was right after like the financial crash of 2009 and yep. it was kind of weird because like all of a sudden you just you know you started seeing those big tall spoons for stirring and yep. there was like a whole new like like chef shows up with knives and the bar guys were showing up with their kits their own yep. kits bring your own you shaker and like, oh, mother like spoons this. yep yeah and you're like wait we're at 15 18 now for a cocktail we didn't even tell you what the booze was <laughs> yeah i was in on that man it, it sold me i i once i realized i could be proud of what i was doing so just making a lot of money serving drinks then you know come combining those two worlds and still being able to make a lot of money and being proud of what i was doing it changed the game for me i i've never looked back i it's still fun to go like I mean, fling and ring at like a high volume place or go pull a shift in a nightclub or a dive bar or something like that but cocktails are are what make me happy I would just get anxiety with all the tickets when they just don't stop coming out. <laughs> I love it. Honestly, like, hey, I don't sit so well. Place the tape. I need a break. <laughs> <laughs> or you wonder why it's been quiet and you realize that the printer got turned off uh, and the tape ran out. Oh, no. I was, I tell you something crazy. I was in Scotland a few weeks ago and we went to a restaurant. And when we walked in, the, the maitre d' was like, oh, dude, like you came at the right time. And I'm like, why? And he's like, well, 30 minutes ago, we couldn't understand. The kitchen couldn't understand why it was so slow. Meanwhile, the restaurant was jam-packed. The orders weren't communicating with the kitchen. So oh, he's like, God. we just got all those people happy. So you're coming at the right time. And I'm like, oh, that was good. This feels like a <laughs> one-off episode of The Bear. Oh, the, yeah, exactly. Tell me something. Okay, so now, so, so we've jumped a whole decade. Is whiskey in your life at all since that scotch experience with the roommate? Or are you just cocktailing? Absolutely. I mean, I still, I don't make cocktails at the house very often. Maybe a few times a year I might. But yeah, okay. I still enjoy, you know, nice pour of something at the house. Um, that's just me being lazy to be 100% transparent. I, I don't like yep. to make a big fuss at the house. If I'm traveling or if I'm out with friends or something like that, I, I might try a cocktail if it catches my fancy. But yeah, still, still drinking, mostly just whiskey. What was your transition from scotch to bourbon, and what did that bourbon look like? Ah, I got you. So in 2013, I opened up a bar for some friends in Pensacola, Florida, and uh, it was called Old Hick it is called Old Hickory Whiskey Bar that has celebrated their 10th year. 
I was their, their first employee. And because I was a big fan of whiskey, they wanted me to be on board. So I ran that for a couple of years and again, it was just kind of broadening my knowledge of, of everything whiskey related back then and learning a ton. I mean, I mean, I, I mean, 2013, there's, I mean, you're getting whatever you want. There's no like, it's not allocated. They're just like, oh, sure. If you want this, you can get it right. Pretty yeah, close I, to the distributors. Even the, the antique collection stuff from, you know, Buffalo Trace, it was, it was still allocated. It was still coming out once a year, but you can still walk into a liquor store and just grab it if you happen to show up on the right day. It wasn't, you know, lotteries or lines or anything like that. No, no. You know, or, and, every, and everything and above. Okay. Yeah. So now, so what, so what does the bourbon journey look like for you when you start trying different things? Like what, what are you resonating towards? Or you're just like, Hey, this is, I like this. It, it was just a lot of everything. Honestly, we used a ton of Buffalo Trace. I think that was our opening well bourbon it was Buffalo Trace. You know, you could get a liter of it for 20, 22 bucks or something like that back in the day. And we would blow through six, seven cases a week. And that, that sounds unheard of now because you can't find it on a shelf in Kentucky right now, but no, it, it helped broaden my horizons a lot. And I, you know, obviously doing that, we did a bunch of barrel picks. We came to Kentucky a couple times while I was there just to do barrel picks or to do distillery business as kind of a vacation slash reward for busting ass all year long. And which, as you know, back in that time, it wasn't what it is anything near. It's like <laughs> what it is now. No, no, not even like close. It was like five or six, the same five or six suspects, right? Yeah. I, thinking, like, that was it. I came to Willet for the first time in 2013. And anybody that's been there now knows it as a, a more of a complex, a big building where everything's based out of their gift shop and the restaurant and bar upstairs. When I went, there was obviously no restaurant and bar. There wasn't a coffee shop. It was literally like one room with where they ran the tours out of in a small little gift shop. And there really wasn't a ton to see. It was a very bare bones operation there. And the amount that they've grown between 2013, 2014, when I went there for the first time. And then when I moved up here to help open their bar in 2019, five, six years of growth, it, it's insane how much that they, they grew and built and well, added I'm, on. I'm, I'm actually surprised that in 13, 14, you went there because that was not like normally a place to go to. On the like, really wasn't. we're gonna go do stuff. We uh we yeah, just you're gone to Four Roses, Maker's Mark, Jim Beam, you know, like those tech, tech, tech. You know? <laughs> you, you know, like that was what what it was. It was you know it, it, it's wild and amazing, but like I'm actually intrigued that that you know that that was happening in 2013 and 14 at and. That gift shop probably was just sitting full of whiskey because, like, how many visitors were they really getting? Oh my god! I, after working there, I realized how much of that stuff I had seen on the shelves when I was there, and that I think I, I maybe I lotted like fifteen hundred bucks for that trip to like basically get a bottle or two at each distillery, something I couldn't get back home. If I would have known then what I knew now, <laughs> I would have spent the entire fifteen hundred bucks at Willet, and I could have bought a house with what. I, I could have yeah. sold later. Like there was some of those like yeah. 23 year wax tops, you know, stuff like that on the, just the shelves back then. You can get it for a couple hundred bucks. It's insane. I mean, and when you say a couple of hundred, like what, like 179. Yeah. Maybe like yeah. 250, you know. <laughs> yeah. At the most. I mean, 
it's just it's insane. And those are now ten thousand, fifteen thousand. You know, yep. like every you know the prices in the eye of of the buyer. Okay, so you're st- so you haven't so you, now this is thirteen fourteen. You've now got this little like you're doing barrel picks. Whiskey's your thing, but you're still back in Florida, right? You haven't moved yep. out. You haven't moved yep. to Kentucky yet. So, yes. so did you? So you continue to kind of grow over there. Do, are you drinking any more whiskey, or like there's enough? I mean, you're there. 2017 is when something different kind of happened. I felt in the bar scene, like all of a sudden, I don't know. I feel like money changed. You could charge more. Was that the same back there? It, it felt like it. it, it feel like between 2010 and 2015, 2016, things we were going through that phase of like the pretentious, snooty bartender bar. Um, yes. Was also an unfortunate time, but I, I feel like we had to kind of go through that to get to where we are now. And I feel like because we did that, not, you know, uh, the, the royal we, I guess, is what I'm saying. Because we as an industry did that, we've now gotten to the point where it feels like a lot of people don't take themselves so seriously anymore. And yeah. the, the crowds, the guests have kind of caught up and they respected it now, but we almost had to put our foot down and fight for it a little bit. That doesn't mean it was okay to be douchebags back then, but I believe it did help get us to where we are now as far as being well, respected. It was, it was showmanship. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I think getting through that phase helps kind of establish a, a new baseline for what's expected and what the guests respect. And it's kind of helps reach an equilibrium now where we're able to charge a little bit more because the expectations are higher. Um, but we're also delivering on a level that we weren't in the past. So doing something with doing something. A, an ice program or better, you know, we're not using crappy wells. Well, not everybody, but the nicer places yeah. aren't using you know, mediocre to, to crappy wells. They're using higher end stuff. They're doing a lot of homemade ingredients to deliver a better. So getting to Kentucky was, was a fun transition. I, when I left Old Hickory, I moved to Pensacola or from Pensacola to New Orleans for a couple of years, just kind of a little restart. And then as some life stuff happened, I ended up moving back to Pensacola. And the guy who had taken over running Old Hickory from me had moved to DC, fallen in with like Bill Thomas and like the Jack Rose group. And then when Drew Colesveen and the Colesveen family that owned Willett wanted to get a bar and restaurant started at their distillery, they reached out about, you know, do we know anybody that might be interested in helping come operate this, uh, get it up off the ground. They reached out to Bill, Bill put him in touch with Andy Pope, who was the guy who took over for me. And we had worked together briefly, but we had worked together and he knew I love Kentucky. I love the area. I love whiskey. So he asked me to come kind of be his right hand guy at Willet. So it was kind of a, you know, I, I saw. Oh wait, I place so, me. So you, you and Pope, so you and so you and Pope, so you and Pope were connected before. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. He's he's not from Pensacola, but he was down there for quite a while. Um, and I knew him when he was a, you know, up and coming. Didn't know a ton, but eager to learn. Kind of. Uh, uh, I would say this to his face, so I'll call him a snot nosed punk. Uh, even though that's not true, he yeah. wasn't snot nosed or a punk. But it's just fun to say. <laughs> no, he was uh, he was eager to learn. And I sought him out to replace me at Old Hickory, and then he sought me out to come give him a hand for Willet. So it kind of all circled back around. So love the guy to death. Oh my god! I thought about it for about twenty four hours, and I was like, "Absolutely, I'm in. Let's do this." 
So that, that brought me up to okay. Morristown, Kentucky. And so, and now unwind, unwind that. So you guys are going to go, so nothing's open yet, right? You guys are going to put it, get it ready for opening or it's already open and you guys are going to come in and run it. It was not open. It was kind of in process of, it had been built out, but hadn't been used for a bar restaurant. I think it had been used for like some event stuff in the past, Mm -hmm. Um, but it was going to be turned into an actual open functional restaurant. And he, myself and the executive and sous chefs were all brought in from other places. And we, we opened it up and I think September 2019 was when we got it up and running. And so it became an official thing then. And then, yeah, I did that for a few years. And then during the pandemic, I uh, was approached by friends of mine who had moved up to Louisville before I did, um, who didn't have a background in bar and restaurants. They just, they were regulars of mine from Pensacola and they, they're, they're the regulars that you always knew would want to own a bar at some point if, you know, fate ever lined it up. And we were talking during the mm-hmm. pandemic and they're like, so we want to open a bar. We know now's not the, the ideal time, but coming out of the pandemic and everything, let's see if we can get this up and running and, I love them to death. Like I said, I've, I've known them for the better part of a decade and they're just dear friends of mine and they trusted me with the bar program. I trusted them with paperwork and knowledge of how to do this. I'm just a shithead bartender. I don't know how to make a business happen. So I needed somebody a little more adult than I am to, to help guide me along that way. And they needed somebody that could operate a bar. So it was a nice uh, synchronicity of making it happen. Love that. Tell me what in your in your years working at Willet. I mean, what's that like? <laughs> uh, it was amazing. Honestly, if I wasn't <laughs> open in my own place, I would still be there. I'd, I'd be going into like year five at this point, and it was a really great experience. The the feed. Oh my god, the the food alone made the job great. It, I think it's one of the best restaurants in Kentucky, but it doesn't get any high praise because it's out of distillery. People kind of overlook it, but. It's out of this world. Josh has been the executive chef and, and Trey Tench, who was his Sue back when we started. They they put together some of the best meals I've ever had, to be honest, without you know donating a kidney to afford it. But as yeah. far as the job itself, I mean, the Colesveen family, Drew, Britt, everybody were so amazing and so welcoming. It really, I, I hate the, we feel like a family just because we work together thing, but they, they, brought it to a new level of, of making you feel comfortable and making you feel honored and respected to be there. Like it, it wasn't, you're our employee. This is, we want you here. We value you. Yes. You may still technically work for us, but we're not going to treat you like garbage, which would be very easy yeah. for anybody to do with that kind of mm-hmm. money and sway. They could easily be jerks, but they were the complete and total opposite. They were fantastic. And I'm one of the, you know, aside from Drew and a few other people, I, I've probably gotten to try more Will at Single Barrels than damn near most of the people on the planet. And that's also really cool. But <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're talking about so much whiskey history there. It's oh, yeah. mind blowing. Yeah. All the source stuff. Like it's just, it's just a whole nother time. Yeah. And the some, fact some of the rarest stuff on earth so and I got to try it. Many. So, so many. And I, and I've always loved that. Like all my hand, like, you know, when I sit at the bar, I'm like, I want to drink something like I'm going to die tomorrow. And you guys always be like, yep. you got to, have you tried this one yet? Oh, fuck. You got to try this one. Oh, and, and it's such a, it's such a warm feeling when you walk in there. Like they just nailed it. But yeah. I think the bonus round is 
you know, the listen, love a good meal. But, you know, the whiskey history that is on that wall in those bottles in such a large format. I mean, yeah. it's a large format. I mean, what, what's, what, you know, on, on any given day, how many bottles are on that wall? We, we would keep about 70 different single barrels on that wall at any given time. So it was, I mean, and you could spend a week there getting stuff. hammered every day and not get through it all. It's something special. And, you know, you know, from a guy, I didn't know that back in 2013, 2014, there was even gift shop action. Oh, dude, I'm so mad at myself. Go. <laughs> so, but I'm looking at it now and it's like, man, there's not a person that doesn't try to come there when they come to Kentucky now. Oh, you know, not only because of what it is now, but because of just like the, the urban lore of what it is. Correct. You know, yeah, it's like you it's got a with, serious rep. Like, what do you, you you have the opportunity here to like dig into history in a very open format. Like, hey, the menus in front of you, you can choose. You know, there's there's other places that have more um, distilleries that have like hidden rooms that offer that kind of experience, but they're not just out there. You know, for everyone to see. You have to, you know. So the fact that that that's nailed like that is, I love it. I mean, it's just like here it is. There's no pomp in the ceremony. It's just like, I'm going to have a fucking good time. You know, some of the other ones, you got to like have a secret knock or like be in and shit like that. Fuck that, you know? Right. Or get the, get the VIP. But, you like, you but, but you're taking my money. Yeah. But you're like, but you're taking my money and making it really fucking hard. Will it yeah. doesn't do that. They're like, hey, yeah. your choice and what you want to spend here, your rabbit hole, it's all here for you. That was one of my favorite parts of that job was every like, Sunday or Monday, I would go through and do a little inventory of the the single barrel wall and just be like, "This is out. What is available?" That because I just had a, a spreadsheet of everything that was in the warehouse that I can pull from and just be like, "Oh, I this this fifteen years empty. There's these other sixty bottles of fifteen year. Like, what have I tried? What haven't I tried? What you know? I, honestly, I got to just pick for myself. Basically, it's like, oh, I haven't seen this one before. Let me put that on the shelf so I can try it and then." offer something to you know we, we didn't have a ton of repeat people but it was nice to switch it up and up to where if somebody came back once a month or once every two or three weeks there was new options up there so it was it was selfish of me to be able to try new things but it was also being able to curate one of the coolest little whiskey libraries possible yeah i mean and not only a library it's like it's like a time capsule of history yeah for sure. <laughs> it's like as far as i'm concerned it's like it's a drinkable museum of whiskey in there. <laughs> that's, that's actually a great way to put that. I never thought of it that way. <laughs> you know, like, because that's what, like, you know, like Bardstown's got a cool private room as well where literally it's yeah. like you can drink with, you can, you know, it's a whiskey museum that you can drink. Uh, sure. And, and, but just, but just, you know, all of what Willett has done over the years and how they've hung in, like when times, when people didn't even want whiskey, they were still buying whiskey. They were still sourcing it. You know, yeah. like, it's 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 people like the Klozine family and like Marcy at Preservation, you know, who've just like kind of kept bourbon alive when nobody wanted it. Yeah, I feel like it was like one of those in for a penny and for a pound things at that point. It's like they were in, they might as well keep going in and hope it bounces back. And it did in a big, big way. I mean, more than that, I mean, you know, I'm obviously, you know, very close to Victor's and like Joe, when he was buying all that stuff, people were like, why are you buying this? Like, no, he was brothers like, why are you buying this? And he's like, I don't know. Like, just, there's something here. <laughs> and yeah. they look like shit, you know, like not in a large amount of time. I mean, you're talking about, you know, in, if you look at it in the last 10 years, how much has changed? 
10 years. That, that ain't shit. Yeah. We've, no, we've been, no, that's, we've that's a drop in the bucket. cell phones for almost 30 years. You know, we've Whoa. been using the internet for almost 20 years. It's like in 10 years, the whole whiskey, the whole bourbon whiskey and scotch and all whiskeys really just went boom. Yeah, big, big time. And that's, it's a nice thing to see pay off. It's a little frustrating now since things are getting harder to find and allocate it. But honestly, I think it just gives you a chance to get more creative. And uh, honestly, fun segue. I think that's what we're trying to do with Tartan is, you know, I think we've probably already got the biggest scotch selection in Kentucky and we've only got like 60 bottles, but it's, you know, we still have about a hundred bourbons and two or three dozen rise and stuff from around the world. But being able to not focus on trying to get like highly allocated stuff, but not get the same thing that's on everybody else's shelves too. Like, yes, I have. Well, and, that's, and that's my frustration. The whole lineup. No, but, and that's my frustration. I feel like you go, especially for scotch, you go in the world and it's almost like a, it's like a bad hotel bar. Yeah. You have that scotch like, pack where you have a bottle of Lafroy, yeah. a bottle of McCallum, maybe a Balvini if you're lucky, and then everything else is Johnny Walker or something else. And there's nothing wrong with any Glenn of it. A Glenn Fittig, a Glenn yep. Levitt, a Jameson, a Bushmills, you know, and you're like, eh. So, so was that part of like when you were curating, you know, for, for House, was that part of like what you wanted to do? You wanted to. I wouldn't say have the odd man out, but you wanted to have a super unique approach to each one of these. Absolutely. And th- that was definitely by design. It's one of those that we obviously, you know, I, I love our bag. I love the folks at our bag. So we have like more of their stuff. Glamourage is the same way, but then you go deeper cuts. Like we're going into the, I have a handful of spring banks and you know, I only have like mm. one blue limit compass box, Caden head, Gladnock, Kilcomen, uh, things like that, where it's just like, it's not the run of the mill. You're not going to see it on every, you know, steakhouse, restaurant, bar, shelf. Like I said, the starter pack from earlier, like, it's not the same yeah. lineup of stuff. It's so tightly curated. Like, we're not carrying it just to fill numbers. We're carrying it because we like it and it offers something different than what everybody else has. But, but how exciting, number one, for you, because now you can go down another rabbit hole and try all these, you know, the stuff that's not the starter pack, one yeah. point. But also, I mean, the liquor reps in Kentucky must be blown away with what you're doing. They're like, oh, my God. Like, hey, what? Shit, I saw that in a catalog on a Zoom call. Oh, fuck yeah. We actually have someone who wants to buy that in Kentucky? Yo, Absolutely. You? Oh, yeah. No, I, I get that text from... You know, at least one rep each week is like, oh, hey, I've got this thing in. I don't know really what it is, but if you want it, let me know. Uh, and that's also really fun. Sometimes I don't know what it is. Sometimes I've only seen it online or something like that. Never got to try it. So, again, it's kind of like the Willis thing. It's, it's really selfish where I'm just like, well, shit, yeah, I want to try that. Send it. You know, we'll we'll find a home for it. <clears throat> I mean, yeah. that was like when I was in Scotland a few weeks ago. That was the coolest part. I was going to like these off the beaten track hotels and going in their bars and I'm like, wait, that's a nineteen fifty six Glenn Grant Gordon McPhail for <laughs> fifty bucks a pour. That's fifty year old juice. Yeah, no, I actually want to pour that. Yeah, how many can you I know? And just seeing how like you know, I was just seeing like in in the world of Scotch how, you know, in in bourbon it's in bourbon it's called sourced. <laughs> sourced whiskey. <laughs> but, but in Scotland, it's called independent bottling. Yes. You know? yes. <laughs> like, 
<laughs> and and how many just time capsules of history of great barrels that just didn't meet whatever whoever Glenn Glenn and Livet you name it didn't meet their profile. They're like, well, we still want to you know we're gonna do something with this barrel and we're gonna make it shine. And you drink yeah, this whiskey, nothing is like, wasting. Oh nothing. Oh, I love that. So with 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 the, with the house. What uh, you're just going to continue to, I mean, what, like what's your, in your mind, what's the vision? Where are you going with this? Um, I, I just kind of want to keep growing it. There's room for probably about 250 to 300 different whiskeys on this back bar. And mm-hmm. obviously, you know, we are going to carry the, the angels envy, the makers mark of the world, the old foresters, yeah. the, the, we'll have Johnny Walker at some point, I'm sure. But the more curated that can stay, the happier I'm going to be like, it, nobody gets into this business to to win awards or do anything like that, but to be considered a great spirit selection on top of just being a, yes. a great cocktail bar would make me very, very happy. If, if we were to you know, do something along those lines where somebody even considers like this is one of the best you know selections I've seen, that would just... I'd, I'd rather hear that than, oh, this is a nice old-fashioned. And don't get me wrong. I, I love making a go yeah, yeah. somebody being happy with it. But when somebody looks at that wall and goes, holy crap, you actually put some some time and thought into this. That really makes me me float. No, I, I you know, and for me as a consumer and as a, a, pas- a passionate, I feel the same way. You know, like I want to come in there and be like, I want to do something different. I don't want run of the mill. Run of the mill is anywhere. I can go pick that up in, in the airport lounge. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Uh, and, and that's it's super and, fun and nobody, when a guest comes hey, in. Nobody realizes. Yeah, but nobody like, you know, like there's just so much financial value as well in that. I believe like getting to curate a beautiful list is something special financially to the establishment, but it's also a huge sense of pride. Absolutely. Hey, we don't, we're not just stock standard run of the mill. So I'm back in January. I'm definitely coming to see you. Is there any moment, last question, um, we've had a good run here. I love this. Debbie, last question. Has it ever, has, is there a moment, I'm sure there's a few of them, that have stood out in your mind where you, you've been enjoying a whiskey or an experience? You're like, holy shit, I can't believe I'm doing this. <laughs> Man, that's, that's a tough one. Honestly, probably, probably right before we opened, uh, we had a night where I brought all the staff in. Things were still kind of finishing up with a little bit of construction. And we just had a bottle of Dalmore 12 that we had brought from, I, I believe my partners had brought from their place. And we were just kind of like sitting around the bar, sipping it, kind of passing the bottle back and forth a little bit. And that was kind of, it wasn't, I mean, Dalmore is fantastic, don't get me wrong, but it, it wasn't one of those because of the whiskey I was drinking. It was like, holy shit, I'm about to open a bar that I can call my own legitimately instead of just feeling ownership over it. I'm actually a legitimate owner. Yes with an amazing staff great partners man it was it was wild it was it was a very sombering but happy moment for me because it was it felt real for the first time and just with everything that life has thrown at me over the years to be in a spot where i'm engaged moved to a city that i love opened a bar i mean it's it's kind of like I'm definitely not waiting for the other shoe to drop, but I'm I'm having these moments of like, holy yeah. shit, is this actually real? Because things are going amazingly well after some years of it not going so well. So 
that was probably the moment mm-hmm. when we were, I was like, this, this is amazing. This is happening. And, uh, yeah, I'll always have a, an extra little love for downmore now just because of that, that moment. That and that was so the first awesome. bottle we well, hey, <laughs> Oh my God. That's so awesome. Craig Bridger. I hope you're listening. Delmore, get us. Jeffy, I can't thank you enough, brother, for coming on today. I'm so excited. I'll see you in January. I can't wait to see it all. People, if you're visiting Kentucky, you definitely got to go see Jeff. You know, go check it out. You know, Jeff, where about you in, the, uh, in what part of town is Tartan House? Um, so we are on kind of the east end of downtown. We're in the Butchertown neighborhood, which is about a mile east of downtown. So it's really easy to get to. It's kind of an up and coming neighborhood, um, but great little place. It's a renovated house. Like we were saying earlier, it's beautiful beyond belief. I think we're on an amazing cocktail program, and I've got one of the best staffs I've ever been lucky enough to work with, if not the best. So please come check us out. We would uh, we would love to have you. Gavin, we can't wait to see you in January. All right, Doc. Thank you, everyone, for listening to another great episode. Definitely go check Jeff out. Um, I can't thank all of you for listening enough. I appreciate everyone. Don't forget to rate the shows and we'll see everybody soon. Thanks again for listening.